Right. You can tell by the uh, title today that it's a little bit of a different message for us. And uh, I'll explain that in a few minutes. But, um, well, I'll explain it right now. Essentially, what I'm, uh, what I'm saying is that today is our church history day. And uh, the reason for that is that tomorrow, October the 31st, is uh, special for a greater reason than it's Halloween. And uh, it's the date which began the Protestant Reformation. So in, in history, in 1517, October the 31st, 1517, began the movement to reorient the church back to the central core teaching of Scripture on salvation, which has been summarized in what they call the five solas, the five alone statements. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. The church was brought back to that central core teaching of salvation as part of the Protestant Reformation. So it's a key day in church history. Tomorrow is Reformation Day, not just Halloween Day, Reformation Day. And so I think it's wise if we acknowledge sometime around Reformation Day. If you remember last year, we, we studied the, the figure Polycarp, who was a disciple of, the, of John, the disciple, And so we're going to take a look at another central figure in the history of the church. So today is more of a biographical sketch, really. We're going to learn from a hero of the past and see how that might apply to our life, how we can be encouraged, what we can learn. And uh, so we won't be necessarily, you know, an exposition of a Bible passage, but the Bible has a lot to do with Athanasius' life and contribution and for us today as well. So in 2022, we we need to know those who have gone before us. We need to know the sacrifices they made, the the battles that they fought. We we need to know that the things that we enjoy and and take for granted were won for us, were were blood was shed, and, and things were done in order that we might enjoy these things. In fact, we've sung about the things that we hold dear. We've sung about those things this morning when we said, blessed Trinity, God in three persons. Athanasius was a key figure in church history that solidified for the church the doctrine of the Trinity. So it was under attack during his day. So we stand on their shoulders, and this is a way for for us to honor their legacy and learn from them. So we're going to talk about Athanasius against the world today. Let's pray, ask God to help us as we uh, study this believer, this fellow brother in Christ from the first century. Father, we gather here today because we are the church. That's why we're here. We are your people. We are followers of the Son of God. We believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Son of God who came from heaven 
to redeem us, to save us, to reconcile us to you, that we might be with you forever. We believe in you, the one true triune God. And we have the privilege today to look back through the history of your people, the ones you have redeemed, called, equipped, in order to preserve those key core doctrines of Scripture that we absolutely hold dear today, that are the reasons why we are here today, because these doctrines are true, and they were not lost, and they were not twisted or undermined because you raised people up at the right time. And Lord, you've placed us here in 2022 for this specific time, for a specific purpose to further your gospel and your truth. So Father, we look back on 2,000, over 2,000 years of the history of your people. You've been preserving and you've been sustaining your people and your truth all that time. There's so much to learn. We look back and there's, there's, there's ways in which our heroes live that we learn what not to do. And there's ways in which our heroes live, Father, that encourage us in what we should be doing. And so we look at the life of one of your dear servants who contributed so much to preserve the true church way back in the first century, early part of the church when it was just newborn, fresh, and already under assault, under attack. And you raised up one man, one man, to stand against the tide. And because he stood upon the truth, victory came eventually. Lord, would you encourage us with that story today, with that biography today, that when our story is written, the same could be said of us, that we stood. Even when it cost, we stood. And we clung to truth and loved truth and clung to the gospel, clung to Christ. So we just ask that we be encouraged. Build your church by your church reflecting on your church today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the giants of our faith is Athanasius. He's one of our African early church fathers. He lived from uh, 296 to 373. He served as bishop or pastor of the church in Alexandria. He was their bishop from 328 to 373. Athanasius fought his whole life against false teaching known as Arianism. Now, Arianism in Athanasius' day was, was becoming a widespread, widely popular false teaching that essentially denied the full deity of Christ. Arianism taught that when you take the Father and the Son, the Son is not equal to the Father. The Son is not God as Father is God. In fact, the Father created the Son. 
So the son is God, but he's a lesser God. So now you've not only denied the deity of Christ as the scripture teaches, but now you're, now you're tweaking the Trinity, right? Now you don't have one God, you have two gods. The doctrines of Scripture, the core doctrines of Scripture, the centrality teachings of Scripture are kind of like that game, um, I can't think of, it's the wooden blocks you stack on top and you pull, what's it called? Jenga? Jenga. All right, this is kind of like, you know, when you get to that, that one block that you pull out and the tower collapses, that's the way the central core teachings of Scripture are. If you pull one out, the rest collapse around it. So if you deny the deity of Christ, you've denied the Trinity. When you deny the doctrine of God, then you begin to deny salvation. Then you begin to deny the doctrine of the Scripture. They're all tied together. They're all connected. That's why it's so absolutely essential that you not lose one single core doctrine of Scripture. Pastor, what's the core doctrines of Scripture? Go to sbc.org and look up the Baptist faith and message. There's your core doctrines of Scripture. So Athanasius then was battling against Arianism all of his life. And the, the, the phrase that was made popular from Arianism was, there was a time when he was not. So there was a time when the son didn't exist. It was just the father and the father created him. There was a time when he was not. That was coined by Arius, the proponent of Arianism. Athanasius then was the, was the central opponent of Arianism and due to his relentless effort, Arianism was first condemned at the council of Nicaea. The whole church got together in Nicaea in 325 and they condemned Arianism. But it wasn't until 381 at the council of Constantinople, eight years after Athanasius died, that Arianism was finally defeated. In other words, he didn't live to see the victory over this false teaching. But apart from him giving his life to battle it, it would have never been achieved. At least not in this way. So there there rose up a phrase around his life in Latin, Athanasius contra mundum, which means Athanasius against the world. That was a phrase that described his life because it appeared in his life that the whole church had abandoned the orthodox teaching of the deity of Christ. For over 40 years, the entire Eastern Church was Arian in their doctrine of Christ. They did not affirm that Jesus was God in the flesh. So Athanasius literally spent his life fighting to preserve true 
biblical teaching of Christ. Why? If Christ is not God, the Bible is not true, we are not saved. The Son of God sent from heaven, born of the Virgin, is the only plan of salvation. This is why Athanasius fought so very hard. If you believe in any Christ other than the Christ of Scripture, it's not the Christ of salvation. If you lose Christ, you lose salvation. That's why it was so important. One man, this should say a lot to us, as students, as men and women, one man stood against the tide of false teaching. And because of him, truth prevailed. So that you and I today, we reap the fruit of his labor, his lifelong labor. That we rightly understand that Jesus was not only 100% man, Jesus was 100% God according to the Scripture. That we hold fast to what the Scripture teaches concerning Christ. And so we sing songs today like, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So let's talk about Athanasius in four, in four components. First of all, let's, let's briefly look at his life. Not much is known of his childhood other than he was extremely poor. But during his childhood, Alexander, who was at that time the bishop of Alexandria, the pastor of Alexandria, he saw potential in this young poor boy and he, he took him under his care and he mentored him and educated him and taught him the truth of Scripture. So that by the age of 20, this poor young boy had grown into an astute theological writer. And he was writing documents. He became secretary to Alexander. In that position, they both attended the Council of Nicaea in 325. And it was because of their rigorous biblical arguing that the council was swayed to their biblical precise argumentation. And so the council overwhelmingly supported them, which resulted in a blow to the quickly rising teaching of Arianism. One of the ways in which they helped define biblical doctrine is they, they used the phrase to teach about Christ as the Son of God. They used this phrase, one substance with the Father. In other words, Jesus is equal the Son of God is equal with the Father in nature and essence. One substance with the Father. Now, Arius, of course, who was promoting Arianism, he was something. He was a lively, 
big personality. He was winsome. He was verbose. He was a kind of person that he, he was easy to like. He had a great personality. He was a people person. He could talk anyone into anything, right? If that wall is beige, he could convince you that it's purple. He was had the gift of gab. He, he could convince you with great ease. That's who he was. He was very talented. He was very intellectual. And he was not, leaving the council of Nicaea, he was not going away quietly. He would not be defeated. So he continued to go bishop to bishop and win pastors to his theology. But he incorporated another Tactic, he began to go around to the civil officials and garner the support of the government to his theology. So Arianism, though condemned, it continued to grow quickly. And Arius knew that his main opponent, he, he saw in the Council of Nicaea something in Athanasius. And he knew that's my main opponent, so he made him the main target. In 328, just three years after the council, Alexander died, and so Athanasius became bishop of Alexander. He was 30 years old at the time. He was bishop for 46 years, and for the most part of his bishopric, most, the most part of his pastorate was spent in turmoil trying to push back against this false teaching. The rise of Arius' influence resulted in Athanasius being banished from his pulpit and from the city five times during his pastorate. Five times he was forced out of town, forced out of his church. Fellow bishops joined with Arius to silence Athanasius. They realized they could not out-argue him from Scripture. So they would just get rid of him. And once they could get Athanasius, if they could just get Athanasius out of the way, then the path to solidifying the whole church, Eastern and Western, to Arianism would be achieved. As a result of this, Athanasius was literally hated by most pastors of his day. Most of his fellow pastors couldn't stand him. They thought he was standing in the way. They thought he was arrogant. He was so passionate, and he had the audacity, how dare him, to label if they did not affirm the deity of Christ, he would simply label them, well, there's another heretic. Now, we'll return to his exiles in just a moment, but another few insights of his life. In 362, Athanasius not only worked to clarify the doctrine of Christ, one substance with the Father, but he also made a monumental contribution to, to clarify the doctrine of the Trinity, to put it in, to take the, the teaching of the Scripture and put it in the language of the day. 
So Athanasius is one of the ones who gave us our orthodox statement on the Trinity. He used the words hypostasis, which means person, and usia, which means essence. One essence in three persons. God in three persons. Athanasius gave us that language. Athanasius worked feverishly to formulate and defend these doctrines of Christ and the Trinity, both during his exiles and after his exiles. For 45 years, these doctrines were up for grabs. It was Athanasius who fought and defended them, often all by himself. After the Council of Constantinople in 381, these two doctrines have never been questioned again by the Orthodox Evangelical Church. He finished the debate, but he had to give his life to do it. Just as a side note, uh, Athanasius was so precise and so biblical and so thorough with his teaching. He was so pastoral in relating these doctrines to his own church that his church, when they would exile Athanasius, they'd put another bishop there to try to turn the church of Alexandria to Arian. And none of his church would acknowledge them as bishop. They remained with their allegiance to Athanasius, even when he was banished five times. When it seemed that everyone left him, his church never left him. They remained by his side. That's a brief look at his life. Let's talk about his five exiles. The first one was in 336 under Emperor Constantine, He exiled Athanasius on the false charge that that Athanasius had prevented a wheat shipment from arriving in Alexandria in order to starve Constantinople. So in 336, he was banished. However, Constantine died in 337, one year later, and because of his death, Athanasius was allowed to return. You see, emperors are not above God. So Constantine banished Athanasius, but he died the next year, and Athanasius returned. In 339, just two years later, prompted by a popular Arian leader, Eusebius, who also wrote some history, he was exiled to Rome for seven years. Now put that in the context of your life. Think about your previous seven years. What about the, if the past seven years you had been exiled from your family and from your home, banished, not allowed to return? That was the longest period of exile away from his church. However, while he was in Rome, he was able to make connections and build friendships with leaders in the Western church who endorsed and affirmed his theology and therefore supported him for the rest of his life. You see this? You see what God was doing? God was working for good even in the exile. 
That reminds me of Genesis, right? Remember the the lesson of Joseph? What Eusebius meant for evil, God used for good in his life. In 356, the third exile, another emperor, Constantinus, drove him into hiding until Julian became emperor in 361. So for five years, he went back on his third exile. Now listen to what happened during this time. So West, the West would give him refuge. The Western emperor, during this exile, the Western emperor was murdered, so the Eastern emperor appointed his military commander to go and capture Athanasius and demolish any Nicene, that is, deity of Christ supporters, that they could find. Anybody that was supporting Athanasius, destroy on, on a Thursday night, on February the 8th, 356, Athanasius was presiding over a church service, and Syrianus and his soldiers, the military commander, stormed the church service. Athanasius was quickly escorted away. And on, a, a few months later, on Thursday, June 13th of 356, there was an orchestrated effort to stamp out any of his supporters. They couldn't get to him, so they'll stamp out, they'll silence his supporters. So they made this big push that they were searching for Athanasius, but what they were actually doing was searching for his supporters. And when they found them, they would torture them. Many were killed, many were exiled, their homes were burned, the churches were burned. This was a volatile period of exile, but it proved to be the most fruitful. In the darkest and most dangerous of time, Athanasius produced a series of treatises in which he so carefully explained the deity of Christ and refuted the teaching of Arianism that Once these treatises began to be produced and distributed, it was only a matter of time before Arianism was going to fall. In fact, these works had such an impact upon the church as they were passed from church to church and pastor to pastor that even when the emperor himself, Valens, was Arian, truth still prevailed. So his fourth exile was in 362, just one year after his return from his third exile. Julian, who had become the emperor, exiled him until Julian's death in 364, two years later. Julian was a pagan emperor. In other words, he believed that there were many gods and he would not tolerate Athanasius' monotheism that there's only one God. The fifth exile was from 365 to 366. The Arian emperor Valens exiled him, but he returned. Valens became distracted because there was a revolt in his empire, and he couldn't give any attention to Athanasius, so he returned. Seventeen years of his 46 years as pastor were spent 
in exile. That's that's his exiles. Third, let's talk about his contributions. We've mentioned them, some of them. Let's talk about a few more. He wrote two major works that we haven't talked about yet. One was called Against the Gentiles, which was a way in which he wrote to defend monotheism, that there's only one God. Now, he's writing this in a culture that believes in polytheism, that there are many gods. And so, they, in, in, the, in the culture of polytheism that rejects the Scripture, he began to argue from general revelation, from the things that you can just know intuitively, For one God, he was writing this to the Gentiles to convince them that there's only one God. And once they can see that there's only one God, then he would use the scripture to introduce them to the one God. He argued from the nature of the soul. He said the soul is invisible. The soul is immortal. That tells you something about the one God who created every soul the image of God that is in us. He argued from creation. He got that from the Bible, by the way. The heavens declare the glory of God. So he argued from creation to those who believed in many gods. And he argued according to the order of creation, the unity of creation, the design of creation. And he reasoned that if there were many gods, there would be no order and uniformity in design. It makes sense that there's one God creating all of this order and unity that you see in creation. And it had a tremendous impact upon those unbelievers of his day, convinced many people that there is one God. So they began to raise questions. Who is this God? And that's when... The theologian became past, becomes pastor and says, well, let me talk to you about him. The second contribution was called On the Incarnation. He's talking about Christ becoming flesh, the Son of God, the, the eternal Son of God, second person of the Trinity. So he's arguing about the, the, the necessity of God becoming man. So again, he's defending the deity of Christ. And he ties it to salvation. God must become man in order to redeem man. So he looks at the, the fall in Genesis 3, how it marred the image of God. He looks at Colossians, which speaks of Christ being the image of God. And he argued that that Christ, the image of God, the Son of God himself, by union with man, becoming man, would be the only way to restore the image of God in man. Because it's through him he would remove sin's corruption through his death and resurrection. On the incarnation. The third contribution is he had the, the he had the ability to take biblical truth and define it in precise terms with the, the, the culture and the language of the day that he was able to clarify and solidify the deity of Christ. So you have, it's not like Arius was not using the Bible. He just wasn't using the Bible correctly. So Arius would look at passages of Scripture that speak of Christ as being the firstborn of creation 
And he would say, you see there, the Bible teaches that he was created first. So then Athanasius would come by and look at the other components of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he would would correctly, with sound interpretation, unpack John 1 so that he could come back and demonstrate firstborn did not mean chronological firstborn in that passage. He blazed a trail in hermeneutics, the interpretation of Scripture, the sound interpretation of Scripture. And we've already talked about how absolutely crucial that is. If God is not triune as the Scripture reveals him to be, the Scripture says there's one God. It calls the Father God, it calls Jesus God, and it calls the Holy Spirit God. And it says there's only one God. So if God is not triune as the Scripture reveals him to be, and how do you explain that? Because unbelievers look at that and say, no, that's not one God, that's three. Islam looks at that and says, no, that's not one God, that's three. So how do we explain, yeah, I know that you've got three persons being called God and that there's only one God. How do we even have that language? Athanasius, one God in three persons. Historically, his contribution is God used one man's unwavering tenacity. You think your voice doesn't matter? Do you think your witness doesn't matter? Do you think your stand doesn't matter? Do you think your courage doesn't matter? Do you think your, your giving of the gospel does not matter? God used one man. One man's unwavering tenacity to hold to truth and therefore hold back the crashing wave of heresy and preserve biblical truth for his generation until this very day. So let's close just talking a little bit about the legacy of Athanasius. First of all, he was a pastor at heart. That's why he was doing what he was doing He was the bishop of Alexandria before he was the defender of the deity of Christ or as the defender. But his church knew the truth that he was teaching them and they knew in their day that truth must be taught to the world. It was undeniably, he taught so clearly and precise unfolding the teaching of Scripture that they knew that was the truth, but it seemed like everybody else was arguing against it. So they knew they had to support him and encourage him because the world was turning from what the Scripture was clearly teaching. He was a pastor. The second thing of his legacy for us is he was thoroughly exegetical. In other words, he relied, com- he relied completely on Scripture. On Scripture. This was his weapon, the sword of the Spirit. He formulated his arguments from sound interpretation of specific text of Scripture for all of his writings. 
The word was his reliable, sufficient source. And even though it seemed bleak at times, I mean, he was exiled five times. He spent 17 years on foreign soil. So I imagine it seemed bleak at times. But he just stayed steadfast and just continued to look to Scripture, share Scripture, interpret Scripture, write Scripture, tell Scripture, defend Scripture. He built his life and he, 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 he banked everything, the world, Athanasius, against the world on the Scripture. And he won. Truth prevailed. That's a tremendous lesson for us today. Truth prevails. Even when it looks all bleak and like all hope is gone, never give up our stand upon the Scripture. Build your life upon it. Build your worldview upon it. Make your stand upon it. Cling to it. Love it. Embrace it. Live it. It will last. When heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle of the word of God will fade. Athanasius believed it. He had to believe it. He had no choice but to believe it. So the third contribution would be connected to that. He persevered in truth. He just stayed with the truth. It seemed like everybody else abandoned it. Seem like that these days? Feel like that these days? Everybody's turning from truth? That's why I picked Athanasius. Looks like everybody else is turning from truth. What are we to do? Persevere in it. When all and everyone seemed against him, do not give up, do not give in. To any central doctrine of Scripture, truth will prevail. Athanasius, fourth of his contribution, legacy. Athanasius was willing to give all to guard the truth of his Savior. That's what it came down to for Athanasius. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I will not allow mockery or defilement of who he is. He's my savior. Listen to this. During his third exile, Athanasius wrote a letter to the bishops of Egypt who were the few they were who were still with him. And in it, he, he was referring to the many people who were standing with him who had been martyred who had been killed because simply they said, we believe in the deity of Christ. He was truly 100% God, and that cost them their life. Athanasius, writing to those bishops, he wrote these words. Listen to this. We are contending for our all. In other words, he was saying, this one is worth giving your life for because if you lose Christ you've lost it all 
We are contending for our all. What a man. Absolutely outstanding. Stood by himself. So just some concluding remarks to wrap up our study today. Church History Day, Athanasius against the world. Athanasius made his stand, and God used him literally to rescue the church out of a wave of false teaching. Now listen to me, church. We are being challenged by false teaching today. It's not the deity of Christ that's the target. It's biblical morality and ethics that's the target. It's just as crucial. The Christian life, the Christian witness, is just as crucial. You see, church, if we lose what it means to live as a believer, we've lost what it means to become a believer. Because the Bible says that's a new creation. We are contending for our all. You pull out that last Jenga block and it will crumble. Let's pray. Father, we look back in the history of your church, such powerful stories, amazing stories of some amazing people ordinary, just willing to give their life for the things that matter the most. God, help us. God, help us to see that, enjoy that, give ourselves to it, pursue the things that matter most. A thousand years from now, there are things that we are absolutely devoted and committed and given our lives for and pursuing right now that will not matter. But things like the deity of Christ and living the gospel absolutely will still matter when all of this is done and there's nothing but heaven or hell. God, help us. Thank you for men like Athanasius that said, this is the way, here is the trail. Follow Christ and follow me. We all have a place, Lord. We, we don't live a purposeless life in Christ. We all, you have us here. You have us where we are. You have us who we are because there's a purpose for us and the truth and the gospel and Christ. So, Lord, sometimes it feels like we're against the world. But, Father, your church plus you is the majority. No emperor had the last word with Athanasius, and no person or power 
or anything will have the last word with your church. You have the final say. So God, encourage us today, inspire us today, reorient us today that we might continue this trajectory that was set, it's been set for 2,000 years. Help us to keep running this race with love, grace, and truth. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.